Thank you for downloading and listening to the Briam Bible Church Sunday Morning Podcast. Briam Bible Church is located in Shoreline, Washington, morning worship at 11, and many more events throughout the week. For more information, please visit our website at www.bereanshoreline.org. Heavenly Father, as we do uh, come to your word this time, uh, we do so with humbleness and thankfulness, and we pray, Lord, that our thoughts will be uh, toward you today, and that uh, we would find encouragement, strength, and hope, and a reminder of your wonderful grace from your word this morning. So we ask you, bless it now. Bless our children as they continue to uh, read your word and study your word together. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. Now we're going to begin this morning at verse 11, but we're really just going to go through verse 14 today. So in Galatians chapter 6, in verse 11, we ended last week in verse 10, as we have opportunity, let us do good to all people, especially those who belong to the family of believers. And then as Paul comes toward the end of this epistle, and it ends, ends a little differently than some of his other letters. We aren't going to have greetings from people with him. Uh, this has been a very important message, this letter we've looked at throughout our study that, you know, the, the, the context is in the churches in Galatia, which is modern-day Turkey, in this area of Galatia, that uh, these churches, there was a struggle going on with uh, these, these people. Uh, Jew and Gentile have come together in this church. They've been saved by God's grace through faith in the shed blood of the Lord Jesus Christ, the message of the apostles. The church is founded uh, leaders have been appointed. Uh, Paul has ministered there. Um, uh, he's from that area generally, depending on exactly where the churches are. And some people have come from Jerusalem and have uh, brought in a message that says, yes, you are saved by grace, you are saved by faith, but of course you know you have to keep the Mosaic Law, at least certain aspects of it, if you're really going to be a child of God. And they have brought legalism. They have brought extra, uh, extra things to the gospel message, to the simple message of the gospel of the grace of God. Um, food uh, issues seem to be important. Um, cleanliness, kosher, um, purification. And circumcision has sort of become the, the particular uh, uh, byword, the particular um, element that they've really been trying to enforce uh, to show that that uh, these people are really committed to, to, to God, to the one true God. And so Paul has been fighting this, in a sense, in this letter, trying to explain and set the record straight that, uh, that no, you, he says, I even had to confront Peter, of all things. You know, the Apostle Peter was a, was a spiritual man of God, tremendous leader. Uh, but Paul says, I even had to confront him at one point. We saw this, where, where, where Peter was pulling back as, as, as these people came from Jerusalem and, and started to enforce these things and said, you've got to be careful eating with these people, that these people over here aren't clean. They haven't washed according to the way we're supposed to. And, and Peter even pulled away from eating with those people. And Paul says, I confronted him to his face. He said, Peter, you can't do this. You can't put these demands on these Gentiles that, 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 that we don't even hardly can keep. You can't do this. So it was a very serious issue. And as we come toward the end of this epistle, he's going to wrap this up, but also remind them how important this is. He begins in verse 11. See what large letters I use as I write to you with my own hand. Now, this, of course, just a comment on this. Um, there's different theories and understanding. What, what does Paul mean here? 
the traditional kind of view is that it would be normal for somebody like the Apostle Paul to use a scribe or a secretary, basically, to, to he would dictate to. These are Paul's words, and somebody would write them down, just like I, I take my words and my keyboard, you know, writes them on the computer, okay? Um, or I could, you know, back in the old days, Pastor Peterson had a dictaphone. He would, in his car, he would dictate things, and then the secretaries would type them out and publish them or whatever, or take his notes. So it's, it's more likely that Paul has been using some type of a scribe, but it would be common toward the end of a letter like this. It would be like if, if you took an official document to have it legal and have it notarized and so on, and it's all typed up, and uh, someone has typed it, the lawyers you know, have typed it up, got it ready, has stamped it, and then you sign it. It's your, it's your personal signature. This is kind of Paul's personal signature. So Paul takes the quill, and he's going to sign this letter with his own signature to verify this, these are his words. And why did he say, see which large letters I write to you? you know, one theory is that Paul had very poor eyesight. Uh, and, and that because of that, he wrote very large. Some think it's sort of like when you type something today and put it in bold and underline it and everything to emphasize uh, some think it was his style of, of Hebrew writing that was larger. We, you know, whatever it was, he, the, the main point is he takes the quill, he's signing off, um, that his, his, last, his last comments are in his hand. And here's what he says, verse 12. And I think he's probably still writing. Those who want to make a good impression outwardly are trying to compel you to be circumcised. The only reason they do this is to avoid being persecuted for the cross of Christ. Not even those who are circumcised obey the law, yet they want you to be circumcised, that they may boast about your flesh. So Paul really lays it out here, and he says there's really two motivations that they're doing this. And we can add in all the legal... Let's just use the word legalism. They're adding these legalistic applications of the Old Testament to your life, and some that even were developed during the time of the Testaments, as our Lord Jesus Christ, you know, so many times says, the fathers have said, the rabbis have said, but I say unto you, where they expounded upon the, uh, the, the law of the Old Testament. And the Apostle Paul is saying here, the reason they want to force this legalism on you, there's really two motivations. And he tells us, their motivation is, number one, they want to avoid persecution. Because there was evidently a movement that, that said, if you're going to go to this extreme of just telling people that they can come and receive salvation by just simple faith in Christ, you know, there's got to be more to it than that. You've got to do something. Everybody knows that, right? But you're going to teach this simple message that this was being, we might use the word today, kind of marginalized or kind of pressured, and there was persecuting those who were joining Paul and the apostles who were teaching this, and they were being persecuted and pressed, especially as they went back to Judea to say, no, you, you, this is not true. You're going to be isolated. You're going to be cut off. We, you can't, we can't tolerate this. So they're trying to avoid persecution. And secondly, you'll notice at the end of it, he says, they are doing this that they may boast I mean, you know, they're going to come back and they're going to boast. We convinced X amount of people to do what we think is right, what we all know is right. And, and uh, we're, going to, we're going to count heads and we're going to say, you know, we use the term sometimes in pastor, you know, evangelistically speaking, you know. How many people go to your church? Well, 500 people evangelistically speaking. I mean, you know, there might be 200 there, but one, one time there was 500, you know, or something like that. They're going to come home and they're going to boast. 
They're going to boast about what they've accomplished for God. Paul says they're doing this so they can avoid persecution, and they're doing this so they can boast. You know, boasting is a, uh, is a tendency we all have. It's part of our human condition. Let's face it. Let's be honest. Um, we, all, we all tend to, to, to boast. You know, pastors boast. Um, people boast. You know, we, uh, no matter what walk of life you're in, you, you tend to, to try to elevate yourself. And, and Paul says they're just trying to boast. And then he comes to this verse, verse 14, I want us to focus on today. You know, on today's message, the next few minutes, and when, I, when, I, when we as pastors, and oh, we have a guest pastor with us today. Tell me your first name again. Andy. Andy, Andy and his wife, Judy, okay. Uh, they're down from Alaska, and uh, he came in to visit us in church one day, and uh, he's down here, um, uh, their little boy is waiting a heart transplant, Mikey, at uh, Children's Hospital. So you can be praying for, for praying for that. They're down there at the Ronald McDonald House, his wife and uh, daughter. Uh, and no. And I got that one. Okay, good. Okay, I got the kids' names. And uh, so we pray for them. Uh, he's a pastor up in Alaska. And, you know, we as pastors, uh, when, we, when we bring God's Word, we bring God's Word to you, you know, there's a lot of different... Uh, things we have on our heart. And, and one of the things, of course, is, is to help you make application to the Word. So you can, you can go home and you leave this place and, and you leave with something that's going to that's gonna be part of your life as you walk with God. And we, and we try to do that. There are other times, you know, sometimes we bring messages that are, are really here to, to affirm what we believe and, and just to remind ourselves of certain things that are in the Scriptures that are so important that, that we just need to be reminded. This, this is a reminder message today. You're going to have to do some of the work to apply it. This is a reminder message today. It's a, it's a reminder from a verse in Scripture that is at the absolute heart and soul of the Christian gospel. Galatians 6.14, I'll read from the NIV. Paul says they want to boast. They want to avoid persecution. But Paul says, may I never boast except in the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ through which the world has been crucified to me and I to the world. You know, um, you're familiar with a lot of symbols. I'm going to put it up. You know, we have, just here's some symbols. I just a variety of symbols. You know, um, the Swedish flag is just a reminder that we use flags as symbols of our nation and our nationality. And maybe some of you here I know are Swedish and maybe your parents came from Sweden and even though you're not Swedish, but that, that would be an important symbol. The Star of David. Uh, there's interesting backgrounds of where it really came from, but when you see that, that symbolizes to you Judaism, the Jewish faith, the Jewish race, Judaism. The Red Cross is the international symbol of medical need and medical help. And it can be used in all sorts. You don't need a language. You don't need to understand a language to know when you see a plane or a ship or a car. That's what the eagle oftentimes is in our country has been used as a symbol of our history and our people, the the freedom and the and the and the power and the might of the of the American of the eagle, the bald eagle. You all know where the bald came from, right? It's not this. You guys know that, don't you? Do you know that? It's what? It's the old English for. Balde for white, white-headed. Did you know that? 
The eagles are bald. Kyle and I are bald. The eagles are bald. It's from the old, it's old English. I'm right, aren't I, trainer? It's the old English word for white. Okay, never mind. Anyway, presidential seal. The president, the president comes and speaks. If the president were here speaking from a podium, there would be a seal on our podium today that indicates that's the president. That one over there, what's that on the, over there? The white, the black and white. Big Ben, which says what? England, London at the time. <laughs> okay, London. Yeah, it's a sort of a symbol for London. Uh, the hammer and sickle, uh, you know, Soviet Russia. Uh, over here, the half moon, the crescent, and the star is the international sign for Islam. So, what's the symbol for Christianity? Yeah, now we know the fish is, the fish is a symbol as well, but internationally and historically, the symbol of the cross has represented Christianity. The cross takes so many different forms. Some of you are wearing jewelry today. Um, that is the cross. In, up here in, our, in the Protestant tradition, in the Protestant tradition, we, we have a cross as a symbol in our churches. It's not a crucifix because the crucifix Christ is on the cross. The cross is empty, and this is the Protestant tradition to symbolize he is no longer there, he is risen. But that, uh, so we have a cross. Up on top of our building, if you were to, if you go out today, and if, you, if you're able to get far enough away and look back, you will see right up there, there's a cross on top of our building at Grandpa Larson and down at his shipyard that they, they built out of the metal down there. And actually, if, as I understand it, at least our original configuration with our skylights that used to leak so bad, <laughs> um, that if you were to fly over our building and look down, you would see the cross this way here and that way there. Um, so it's important in our church. Uh, the cross, cemeteries, churches, buildings, uh, necklaces, the cross. The cross is the symbol for Christianity. You know what's interesting? When you, when you consider this, I want to be careful how I say this because I don't want it to come out like I'm against having the cross as a symbol. That is not what I'm saying. I am all for having the cross up here in front of our church. I would be very disappointed if we took that cross down. But I do think it's worth us remembering when Paul says, may I never boast except in the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ, that in the first century, in the Jewish, the Roman, the Greco-Roman world, the cross was a symbol of horror. It was a symbol of disgust. It was, it, was, it was a symbol of repulsiveness. One of the commentators mentioned that in, in the Roman world, uh, it, would, it, would, it would be common that Roman dignitaries and stuff would not even mention the word because it was so repulsive. As I thought about that, I thought, you know, what would be a, a similar, so we could really understand and really, and really grasp and appreciate the, the, the power of this, that the idea of how, how repulsive this was. And some of the commentators, in fact, most, two, or, two or three commentators suggested that if we were to think in terms of a lynching, a lynching, a crowd of people grab and just take someone and lynch them, or the electric chair, the electric chair today, as a form of execution. And I thought about, but you know, I thought about put, putting that up there 
but then there was something about me that, that it was sort of, just didn't seem right to put a picture of that up here in front of our church today. And I thought, well, that's it. It's just, in my mind, it's just, it's, it's something I would prefer not to have in your image today up front here. But that's what the cross was in the first century. That's what it was. It was not a sign or a symbol that you would want to be associated with. It was a sign of disgust. It was horrible. And as the Old Testament said, cursed is everyone who is hung on the tree, which is what the cross, in the, eventually it was, whether, whether exactly it was, but it was wood from a tree. Cursed is everyone. It was reserved for the worst of criminals. It was reserved for those who absolutely were so disgusting. You think of the most disgusting, heinous acts that take place in our culture that really, that really, that really are revolting to you, that people do, that you think is worthy of death. That's what the cross was. That's what the cross was. And it's because of that that it was so controversial you mean to tell us that, that, that your Savior, our Messiah, died on a cross? He died in this repulsive way? And the Apostle Paul says, yes. May I never, ever boast in anything except the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ. They can boast in getting you to do this and getting you to do that and chalking up the numbers and saying we did. But as for me, the only thing I ever want associated with my name and my ministry is the cross of Jesus Christ. And I'm here today, friends, to remind myself first as your pastor and to remind you that that's all we do today. It's, it's worth being here together. To be reminded of the simple message of the gospel of the grace of God that was accomplished on the cross of Calvary. That Jesus Christ, fully God and fully human without sin, died an excruciating, horrible, disgusting, repulsive, public execution because he loves you and because it was the only way that you and I could be saved from our sins and receive eternal life. A few scriptures that I think are important. 1 Corinthians chapter 1. Just turn your Bibles back a few chapters to 1 Corinthians chapter 1. 1 Corinthians chapter 1. In verses 14, this, this section here as Paul begins this epistle to the church at Corinth, one of his early epistles as well. Um, verse 18. For the message of the cross is foolishness to those who are, who are perishing, but to us who are being saved, it is the power, to us who are being saved, it is the power of God. For it is written, I will destroy the wisdom of the wise, the intelligence of the intelligent, I will frustrate. Where is the wise man? Where is the scholar? Where is the philosopher? It has not God made foolish the wisdom of man. The Apostle Paul, 
It goes on to say, in verse 22, Jews demand miraculous signs. Greek look for wisdom. But we preach Christ crucified. This is what he preached. We preach Christ crucified. A stumbling block. The word there is scandalous. So where do we get scandal from? It's scandalous to my fellow Jews. This is scandalous to preach the Messiah crucified. And to the Gentiles, to the nation, it's foolishness. It's ridiculous. It's foolish. But to those whom God has called, both Jews and Greeks, Christ, the power of God, the wisdom of God, for the foolishness of God is wiser than man's wisdom, and the weakness of God is stronger than man's strength. The cross of Jesus Christ, the message that somehow my sins could be transferred to someone hanging on a cross and God could look at that execution and say, Jim, you are now forgiven. You are righteous. Your sins have been transferred and paid for. Paul says it's a scandal. It's foolishness. It's ridiculous. It makes no sense. It's stupid to the world. But to us who are being saved, it is the message of hope. 2 Corinthians chapter 5. In 2 Corinthians, I, this is a passage that I've grown to love so much, especially as I've had opportunities to share at uh, my friends' uh, their services and gravesides and reminded of, of, of the temporalness of this life and, the, and what God has given us and the hope that we have. In 2 Corinthians chapter 5, Paul says this in verse 20, We are therefore Christ's ambassadors, as though God were making his appeal through us. We implore you on Christ's behalf, be reconciled to God. Look at This is your hope. This is why you have the hope of eternal life. This is why your sins are forgiven. Amen? You glad today your sins are forgiven? Here it is. God made him who had no sin to become, to be sin for us so that in him we might become the righteousness. The righteousness. The righteousness of God. If we were, if we were preaching on this sermon this Verse today, we could say this, this. We could title this the Great Transfer. <laughs> that when Christ died on the cross of Calvary, He actually became sin. Think of it. This is we're talking about God. We're talking about God became sin for you and for me. That in exchange. I might become, look at this, I didn't write this, this is is what it says, that I might become the righteousness of God. How righteous is God? How righteous is God? And that was somehow transferred to me. Me. Jim Shamaria, born in Seattle, Washington, Swedish Hospital, November 25th, 1952. No smarter, 
Maybe dumber than the rest of you. you know. I mean, why? 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 Because He loved me. Because He chose to love me and to love you. And friends, what happened on that cross to Calvary, we're going to gather on Good Friday. It's Good Friday. It's Black Friday, but it's Good Friday. And this year our choir is going to present a, 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 a musical package, a musical ministry. And we're going to have communion. And we're going to be reminded as we gather together that what happened on that cross to Calvary, that, that God somehow... I can't understand it. He somehow poured out all his wrath and anger and holiness and justice against sin. And it says in Isaiah 53, the suffering servant of God, it says there twice that it pleased God to crush him, to strike him. Twice it says that. That while God turned his back on, on his son, eternity, Father and Son, the Holy Spirit, eternal love and fellowship, that the Father had to turn His back as it were, as, as Christ cried out, My God, My God, why have You forsaken Me? And on one hand, He turns His back, while on the other hand, He is striking Him and punishing My sin and the cross of Calvary. So when it is finished, and the Lord says, It is finished, and He's placed in the grave, My salvation, My sins were paid for on the cross of Calvary. And He rose from the dead. Victorious over the grave. Victorious over sin. Victorious over Satan. And the message went forth, that simple gospel message. Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and thou shalt be saved. You don't have to do anything. You don't have to go anywhere. You don't have to buy anything. You don't have to have a, a, a time of testing and trial it is the gift of God. If, if you memorize this in the King James, say it with me. For God, come on, you can talk. For God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son that whosoever believeth in Him shall not perish but shall have everlasting life. Do you believe that? Could it really be that simple? Could we really be so foolish that we would dare go around the world and into our neighborhoods and into your place of work and into your school and into your community and into your family and we would dare preach such a simple message of salvation. But God forbid that I should boast, save in the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ. Philippians 2.8 He humbled Himself he became obedient even to the point of death on the cross. It's, it's right that that is the symbol of Christianity. And it's right that it's up there. And it's right that it's become, it's right, you may wear one to proclaim to be friend, and that's right, that's fine. But just remember, in the first century, what it stood for. Because that's what God has done for us. And Paul says this. And this is a fascinating phrase. And in, 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 in the Greek New Testament, it's very short. It's very pithy. It's, very, it's right to the point. 
through which the world has been crucified to me and I to it. I to the world, the cosmos. I to the world. I to the world. I want to close with this this morning, friend. Like I mentioned, today's message is, is a message of, of reminder, if you will. It's the message of reminder of what God has done for us. It's also a message that we should not be afraid and we should not be embarrassed to preach the simple gospel of Jesus Christ, death, burial, and resurrection as our salvation and our hope. You should not be embarrassed of that. It may not be popular. It may be laughed at. It may be scorned. But it doesn't matter. It wasn't your idea. It's God's. And Paul says it's because of this. And I want you to think about this as we leave this morning. What does this mean? That the world has been crucified to me. Cosmos. Cosmos. The world has been crucified to me and I've been crucified to the world. We don't preach at our church, some like some of the Eastern religions and even some forms of Christianity over the centuries of isolation, of seeking nirvana, of somehow that the true spiritual sense is just somehow distancing ourselves from matter and creation. Uh, no. We are fully engaged in the world. We encourage you to be. In fact, if anybody should love their fellow humans, what did Paul say in the previous verse we looked at last week? Do good to everybody. If anybody should be concerned about the welfare of this world, of taking care of this world, of the importance of work, and the importance of enjoying the beauty that God has given us, enjoying His creation, enjoying one of it is Christians. We are not isolated from the world. We didn't, that's not what we preach and teach. We embrace where God has put us as long as God has us here. He has you here for a purpose. It's important. The world here, in the context, is the world way of thinking that says, I'm going to boast in this. I'm going to boast in what I've accomplished. I'm going to boast in what we can do. I'm going to make sure that I avoid any pain and I need persecution. And I, avoid, I can avoid a lot of trouble. In fact, when I was in college, I remember Dr. Dean. I, I don't know why I took out, I took out something and I, and I wrote it down in class one day, and it just stuck with me. I don't even know where he, where he came from. He just, his statement that I could avoid a lot of pain and sorrow in this life if my only goal is to be happy. That's not what I'm here for. I like to be happy. I like you to be happy. But if that's all that matters, there's a lot of tough stuff I can avoid. Disengage. But if I'm willing to engage with the truth of the gospel, listen, don't expect everybody to love it. Don't expect everybody to appreciate it. Don't expect everybody to pat you in the back and say, wow, that's great. It doesn't matter. The Lord Jesus Christ, in this world you will have tribulation. Be of good cheer. I have overcome the world. The Apostle Paul, it is through much tribulation that we enter the kingdom of God. The, listen, the offense of the cross of Christ is our proudest boast. God forbid. God forbid. 
God forbid, that our boast should ever be in us, in our church, in our family, in what we've accomplished. The only thing we have to lift up that will ever bring anybody to forgiveness for sins and eternal life and avoid eternal death and hell is the cross of Jesus Christ. The cross of Jesus Christ. As disgusting as it was in the first century, it's all we have to offer. Cross of Jesus Christ. Listen, friends. God loves you. As we, come, we close and sing our final song, I really don't want anybody to leave here today. I just, I don't, I want you, at least, at least you, I don't want you to walk out those doors and, and, and say, I never heard God love me. I'm telling you this morning, God loves you. He loves you so much that Jesus Christ, His Son, God Himself, died on the cross of Calvary in excruciating, yes, physically painful death. I, can you even begin to imagine what it would be like to be crucified? But that's only part of the story. It was the pain he bore on his soul that he became sin for me. He did that for you because he loves you. And the Bible says it is God's desire that all would be saved. That's his desire. I don't want you to leave this, this place today without at least considering and having the opportunity. And I give you the opportunity today. Why not? Why not? Why wouldn't you receive forgiveness for sins and eternal life? And begin to grow and to know Him who loves you so much. As we close the service, you can do that right where you are. You're not doing anything for me. You're not doing anything for this church. It's between you and God. And you can simply say to God, yes, I acknowledge that I am a sinner. And I know I can't save myself. And I, in humbleness, receive Christ's payment for my sin and believe He died for me and receive Him as your Savior. Yes. Yes. It's simple. But it was costly. It's because He loves you. Ellen, come and lead us in our closing song. His name is wonderful. Earlier I passed the microphone to a few of you to share your life verse. And I'm, you know, I'm confident today I could pass the microphone up and down the rows. And I'm confident there's not one person here who would say, I regret having asked Christ into my life to be my Savior. I've never yet seen it happen. And I ask you again today, friends, we leave this service, and I'm going to ask you to bow your heads, and we're going to close our eyes, we're going to pray together as we leave this place and leave our time of worship together. And I just want to give you a minute of just quietness. 
I'm not asking you to do anything for me. But I am asking you, would you please consider how much God loves you and what Jesus did on the cross at Calvary. And when you accept, through simple faith, Christ's payment for your sins and receive the righteousness of God. If you make that decision, would you please talk to me afterward? Just let me know. If it's not good today, give me a call tomorrow. I'd love to talk with you and pray with you and, and, and help you as you begin this journey with Christ. Father, we love you today. It seems kind of trite maybe for us to say that. We can look back even this past week and, and see times in our life where we've evidenced that maybe we don't act like we love you. We may have even acted like we were embarrassed of you, maybe. But Lord, just humbly today, I want to speak on behalf of this family of God. We love you. And we thank you for what you have done for us. We pray our lives would radiate somehow, in spite of our weaknesses, the love of God this week. In Christ's name we pray.